Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dynasty After Dark. I'm your host, Calvin Timms. You can find me as usual over on Twitter at DFFCalvin or on Instagram at the Dynasty Consultant. Or, like I said last week, we now have a Facebook page. I'm working on getting a YouTube channel, and uh, that's something I'll touch on here in just a second. But I should have a YouTube channel up here in the next couple weeks so you guys can check out. So stay tuned for that. I'll let you guys know on social media where you can find that page after I do have it out. So stay tuned. That should be something interesting coming here shortly. But welcome back to another episode. Hope you guys had a good week so far. I can finally break down one of the major things that's been kind of going on lately behind the scenes that I haven't been able to tell you guys about yet. And the thing that has been going on in my life recently is, as you guys know, I'm a civil engineer. During the day, work at a pretty decent company here in Indiana, and I recently have been offered another job at a new firm in Ohio, which would require uh, basically moving my entire family to a new place and getting used to a new culture and all these kind of things. So (laughs) I haven't accepted it yet. You know, that's just something I've been battling in my head, but they did finally extend the job offer. I didn't want to say anything until they did make it official. Um, So now I basically have to decide between staying where I'm at now or moving to a new place. And man, I didn't think it would ever be this stressful going through something like this, but man, oh man, it's just crazy how much you have to think through whether, you know, the new area you're going to, where the new daycares are at, you know, for kids and where you're going to find a house and how fast can you do all this and do I got to get my house ready to sell and all these things. So man, it's just something that's a great opportunity either way, whether I stay here or whether I go to the new place, but it's just something that's been behind the scenes. It's been really kind of weighing on me recently. So if you have noticed that I'm a little bit more quiet on social media, haven't been kind of staying up to date with a lot of football stuff right now, that's kind of one of the main reasons why, uh, just to let you guys know. Like I said, I didn't want to say anything until they officially extended me an offer, just in case anybody was listening to this podcast. But So that's just something that's been going on in my life. Hopefully you guys are having a good week. Like I said, things are finally starting to turn around. A little bit of stress is going to be off my shoulder soon because one way or another I know what I'm going to be doing in the next six months whether I'm going to be moving whether I'm going to be staying here so that's a huge weight off the shoulders and yeah it after camping last weekend where where I got to relax quite a bit with that and then now this decision finally having an end it's just man I feel like a whole new man almost but um, thanks for joining me today. If you haven't been listening to the pod, you can go back to the last couple episodes and we've been going through each division and all the coaching changes and player changes for each team and the fantasy impacts for the offenses in all those divisions. And I've said multiple times, I'm not really a defensive minded guy. I really prefer offense. You know, I know the basics of a defense. I know what a nickel corner does. I know what the D-line does. I know what a 4-3 versus a 3-4 is. I know very basic stuff on the defense, but I am no defensive master by any stretch of the imagination. So all of my divisional breakdowns were from the offensive side of the ball only, right? So a lot of those fantasy perspectives are heavily skewed on just those guys going out there and throwing the ball for 60 straight minutes, right? But 
Of course, when you take into account the real world of the defenses and the records of these guys, it does change things a little bit because if you're a great running back on a terrible team with an amazing offensive line, chances are you're probably not going to get as many carries as someone who's a great running back on a great team with a good offensive line, right? So understanding some of that context behind this is kind of important as well. And now that the divisional breakdown is wrapped up, I do want to add another layer of context on top of that with my divisional rankings. And um, it's also a little bit of fun too. I just get to break down how I think each team in each division is going to finish, what the record's going to be, who's going to be going to playoffs. And I also threw in a playoff prediction as well to see who wins the Super Bowl. And uh, we'll see how wrong I am at the end of the year. You know, these things are so close every single week. You never know. The reason why they say college football teams would never stand a chance against an actual NFL team is just because even the worst NFL team can go out there and beat the best NFL team if everything goes right for them, right? So if everything goes right for a college team, they're not going to beat an NFL team, even if everything goes right, just because the sheer level of competition here in the NFL. So that's one of these things where when you do these predictions, one 50-50 coin flip at the end of the game, he blocks a kick versus he makes a kick, right? That changes uh, one of your win and loss records, and it just has ripple effects everywhere, right? So that's why these things are always so hard to predict, but I gave it my best shot. So let me know what you guys think of this. But again, like I said, it's kind of just to add a little bit more context to how I think these teams are going to finish, why I think they're going to finish that way, and then also just a little bit of fun as well, because I get to uh, look at everything from a whole, from the defensive and offensive side of the ball. So just like the divisional breakdowns, we're going to start with the AFC North. And I have the AFC North going as such. Baltimore Ravens, number one team in the AFC North with 12 and 4. Cleveland Browns at 10 and 6. Pittsburgh Steelers at 9 and 7. And then the Cincinnati Bengals at 3 and 13. And the reason why I think Baltimore is going to be the kings of this division yet again They have not taken any steps backwards on offense other than Marshall Yonda. If you listen to my AFC North breakdown, the Baltimore Ravens are one of the best teams in football right now. They acquired some good key pieces on their defense this offseason, made some amazing trades. Uh, Calais Campbell, people are talking about them potentially getting Yannick Ngakwe from the Jaguars as well. So they're just really shoring up their defensive line. Their corners are still amazing. John Harbaugh is one of the best coaches in the NFL. Uh, He's definitely top 10, if not top 5. I know he's not one of the best offensive-minded coaches, but as a full-team coach, he's just one of the best. He's top-notch every single year. He gets his guys ready to play. He does what he needs to do, right? So the Ravens are primed to make another run in this division this year. I just don't see them losing again. And I understand that... The big risk with the Ravens is if teams figure out how to stop Lamar Jackson, this team is in pretty big trouble, but so far, nobody's shown how they can do that, right? So even if they do figure out how to stop him, he's just so fast. I don't know if you even can at this point. So between that, with them being an amazing offensive team, while also being such a dominant defensive team, 
They are just kings of this division right now. 12 and 4. It's hard for me to personally put anybody around 14, 13, 14, 15 wins because it's just so unrealistic. It's so unlikely. Like I said, a lot of these games come down to 50-50s, even for the best teams, you know. So and the Ravens do play the Chiefs this year as well. So there are some tough games that they are going to play. Um, divisional games are never a joke, especially in the AFC North. So um, 12 and 4 seems pretty reasonable. The one that I think I'm going to get a lot of flack for is Cleveland at 10 and 6, because that's better than a lot of people would think that Cleveland is going to be this year. And um, I just really like the Cleveland Browns in 2020. They are the definition of a post hype sleeper for me because. Their offense is prime. They have really no holes on their offense now that they shored up the offensive line in this offseason. They really only need to see if Baker Mayfield can step up and play like he did as a rookie. And I understand 2019 did not go Baker's way. There's a lot of things that kind of went into that. One, he's a really young quarterback. Two, their offensive line was in shambles. Three, it was new coaching that was completely out of their depth. And there was just a lot of things that kind of compounded on each other in 2019. I still think Baker's the dude. I think he's going to be a good quarterback down the road. I, it might be a little bit of a struggle early in his career, but I think he takes a pretty good bounce back in 2020. Maybe he's not throwing 35, 40 touchdowns, but I definitely can see him getting to 30 uh, 30 touchdowns in 2020. And if they're doing that in this division, their defense is still stacked. I know that they've had a few injuries recently in training camp, so we'll see how things kind of shake out with that. But I do like their defense. I like their offense, and they just seem pretty solid as a whole unit. So I really think that they're going to take a huge step forward in 2020 under Kevin Stefanski. And Pittsburgh at 9-7, and seven, Again, I think Pittsburgh is one of the best teams in this division. Um, I have them tied with four other teams as the last playoff contender, which I'll cover here in just a little bit. But they ultimately, I don't think, make it. I just think that between the age of Big Ben, a lot of these players are injury risks. You know, I do really like this offense for 2020. If Big Ben can come back and sling it like he used to in his old days, Man, this offense is going to be scary, let me tell you. But it's just, there's a lot of red flags that I don't want to forgive on this team. Again, Big Ben coming back off the injury. You never know. He's older. It's not like this injury is a common injury. It's a really rare injury that people usually don't recover from very well. James Conner, their top running back, is injury galore. Uh, Everyone on their offensive line is getting a little bit older. We haven't seen what this receiving core can do with Big Ben without AB. You know, there's some promise for sure with Juju, with Chase Claypool, with James Washington, with Deontay Johnson. It's a solid receiving core. Don't get me wrong. I really, really like the receiving core, but it's just, can they put it all together with Big Ben? He's going to have to direct these guys really, really well, and they just don't have the on the field reps that you'd like them to see going into 2020. So that said, I do really like their offense. Their defense is pretty solid. Uh, It's getting a little older. They're signing a lot of guys to one-year deals, or they only have one year left on their deals. And 
I don't know if they're going to be as dominant on defense, but Mike Tomlin, just like John Harbaugh, is one of the best coaches in the NFL. He just finds a way to get it done. He managed to be almost in the playoffs in 2019 with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph as his starting quarterbacks every single week except for week one. So, I mean, it's just crazy how well he can recover as a coach. And all the props to Mike Tomlin. I really like him as a head coach. It's just, again, there's some red flags with this team. I don't know if they're going to be able to repeat the success. And especially with, like I said, this division is really tough. It's just they play each other so hard. And they're playing the AFC West this year. So playing the Chiefs, that's probably a loss. Playing the Chargers, I really like the Chargers in 2020. Um, Their defense is just going to be terrifying to play against. So there's some red flags with this season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Have them third in this division at nine and seven, and then last place I have the Cincinnati Bengals, again three and thirteen. I like Joe Burrow. I just don't think that they have what they need. They have so many different holes on this team. Their offensive line. They have a few good guys on the offensive line. They still need a few more. They have great weapons at wide receiver. They have a great running back in Joe Mixon if he actually plays. Uh, there's rumors that he's starting to hold out because they're not going to re-sign him. So, I mean, their offense is pretty stacked, except for the offensive line. I really like that, but their defense is going to be the 32nd-ranked defense after 2020. It's just so bad, and they really haven't addressed it very much in recent drafts. They haven't gotten free agents. They're losing guys to injury in training camp. This defense is just going to be, oh, man, getting blown up left, right, and center. And while I do like Joe Burrow, He is still a rookie. Like, people are expecting him to be good for fantasy, but for the actual NFL, it's tough because I don't want to just say, oh, he's going to be so good in the NFL. A lot of these first-round picks bust, right? A lot of quarterbacks bust. They don't make it in year one, and it's just going to be a learning curve that I feel like a lot of people are overlooking a little bit when it comes to the Bengals. So I think they're going to finish around 3-13, and maybe 4-12. and I don't know, but... It's going to be not very good uh, in 2020. They just have a murderer's row of games that they got to play, and their defense isn't going to be stopping anybody. They, Like I said, they got the AFC West. The Broncos even could shred this defense with a second-year quarterback in Drew Locke, right? So there's a lot of holes on this team. Yeah, I think they're going to be last in the division. I don't think that's too bold, but... The AFC East, we're going to just keep rolling here, and I'm going to try and move this podcast today along at a little decent clip, Um, so if I'm going too fast, I apologize. Just let me know for next time, but I'm trying to roll through this a lot because eight divisions is just a lot to talk about then with my playoff prediction, so I don't want to bore you guys too much, but um, the AFC East is the next division we're going to talk about. I actually have the Buffalo Bills winning this division at 11 and 5, the Miami Dolphins getting second in this division at 9 and 7, New England finishing 8 and 8, and then the New York Jets finishing last at around 4 and 12. And this one as a Patriots fan kills me. <laughs> I'm going to get so much flack for putting the Patriots third at 8 and 8, but we're going to start with the Buffalo Bills at 11 and 5. 
honestly tell me what holes that this team has on its roster. I mean, Josh Allen, whether you like him as a quarterback or not, he is competent. He can do what he needs to do. This defense is dominant. Sean McDermott has put together a murderer's row. The defensive line is destructive. The cornerbacks are destructive. The safeties are destructive. The linebackers are just nasty, right? This defense is probably one of the top five in the NFL right now. It's just so terrifying to play against every single week. Then you add into that their offense, which their offensive line is returning all the starters. Their running backs are solid between Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. Whether you like one more or the other, they're both going to be good for this team. Their wide receivers, Diggs, Cole Beasley, John Brown, like they're not sexy names other than Diggs, but they're going to be able to do their job and do what they need to do to win games. And I just really think that they're going to finish pretty highly in this division. And like I said, what holes does this team have? If they really had any, I would gladly point it out. But I think this is the year that the Bills kind of take the take the division title. So we'll see how that goes. But the the big one is two and three, right? So Miami Dolphins at nine and seven. You're probably saying to me, what the heck is that? Are you out of your mind? Well, I do want to point out that in 2019, they finished with five wins with an atrocious offensive line and an atrocious defense. They have signed some blockbuster names on the defensive side of the ball. They got Byron Jones at cornerback. They drafted another cornerback in the first round. So they have three amazing cornerbacks for this team because the guy that they drafted isn't even going to be an outside cornerback. He's going in the slot, right? So their cornerbacks are dominant. Their safeties are okay, above average, I'd say. They brought in Kyle Van Noy. They brought in like half the New England Patriots defense that left from last year, right? They have guys that they brought back. They had a lot of young guys. They drafted a ton of guys in this year's draft. Their defense is going to make massive steps forward in 2020, especially under defensive-minded head coach Brian Flores, right? And I do like Brian Flores a lot as a head coach. So if their defense is taking a pretty big step forward, I do think that Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzmagic, is going to pull another rabbit out of the hat and make one more final magical run before he sails off into the sunset and leaves his team for Tua Tagovailoa in 2021, right? So Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think with more opportunities, is going to make a lot of mistakes for this team, but he's also going to make a lot of plays as well. Their receivers are pretty solid between Parker and Preston Williams. Running backs, they've got two solid guys with Jordan Howard and Matt Breida. Their offensive line, they've made adjustments. They've signed a bunch of guys. They've drafted a lot of guys. They're really doing this rebuild the right way, right? So I do like this team in 2020. I don't think getting four extra wins with all the talent that they've added on both sides of the ball is a crazy prediction. So I do think that they're going to finish around 9-7. and seven. And New England finishing at 8-8, eight and eight, you're probably saying that's even crazier, right? But look at all the guys that have opted out of New England this year due to Corona, right? We have half of our defensive line and linebackers have opted out. We probably still have the best secondary in the entire NFL, but that's only going to go so far because this isn't really a pass-heavy division. There's a lot of 
strong run teams in this division, and we're playing a lot of great teams as well. So I love our secondary a lot, but I just don't think that's enough to carry this team on defense. And our offensive side of the ball, we're going to Cam Newton, which I like Cam Newton a lot, but I just don't think we have the weapons. People are super stoked about the Patriots winning a lot of games just because of Cam Newton. And while Cam Newton might be a good quarterback, it's just, what is he going to use on offense? We've got Sony Michelle, James White, who's 28 years old now. We've got Damian Harris, who's young and unproven, right? We've got Nikhil Harry. We've got Julian Edelman going on year 34. We've got Mohamed Sanu, who was never able to break out in Atlanta. It's just, what do we have to be excited about on offense? Maybe down the road, we can use some of these guys like Devin Asiasi, Damian Harris. Some of these guys will step forward and be useful in 2021, 2022. But in 2020, it's just not looking good for the Patriots. I think that we finish 8-8 eight and eight just because of the sheer ability of Bill Belichick and his coaching prowess. But yeah, there's just so many holes. And all the New England Patriots fans out there, like I said, I'm a Patriots fan as well. We got to be a little realistic. We've had one of the most dominant teams of all time for the last two decades. Every team needs a down year. It's okay to admit that we don't have the number one offense or defense in the NFL right now. So I think that we're going to struggle a little bit more in 2020. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of comments about that. But last in this division is the Jets. I mean, what is there really to say about the Jets? They're just a joke at this point. Their defense is trash. Their offensive line, they've taken a lot of shots. They've really tried to improve it. They are really trying to improve their offensive weapons, but it's a problem when Chris Hogan is one of the top offensive weapons for this team. Chris Hogan couldn't even be a top offensive weapon for the Patriots when he was one of the only two guys on the team, right, that was a big name. So the fact that Jamison Crowder, Brashad Perriman, and Denzel Mims, I don't know who Chris Hogan has beaten out of those three, but it's not looking good for the Jets receiving core. Chris Herndon's a good tight end, and hopefully his connection with Sam Darnold is going to be impressive, but I just don't think that they're going to be able to do anything. Like I really like a lot of pieces on this team. It's just with Adam Gase as the head coach, I think people are going to struggle. People don't like Adam Gase. I don't know if they're going to play that hard for him. It's just really tough to say. This could be one of my bigger misses. They did have seven wins in 2019. It's just ah, things with Adam Gase usually go by a pattern where it starts out pretty good, then it starts to slow down, and then it just goes into the toilet the last year. So I'm just following that trend based on history. Let me know where you think I'm wrong, but I do like pieces. Like I said, I'm not worried about this from a fantasy side, but from an actual football side, I think they're going to get fourth place in this division at 4-12. and Now, the AFC South uh, gets a little interesting because it's a lot closer, in my opinion. And I have the Tennessee Titans winning the division at 9-7, and the Colts going 8-8, eight and eight, the Houston Texans going 7-9, and nine, and the Jacksonville Jaguars finishing at 5-11. and 11. And this is the hardest division out of all of them, in my opinion, to predict. And 
The reason why is I think that a lot of these teams are very close. They all have pretty significant benefits, but they all have pretty significant flaws as well, right? Where Tennessee, I have them winning. Ryan Tannehill really needs to play like he did in 2019. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that as much. So if they take a step back on offense, they still have a pretty solid defense. And that's why I do have them winning this division at 9-7. and seven. It's just, I just think that they're going to lose a lot more 50-50s than they won in 2019. And that's why I have them at 9-7. and seven. This is a very competitive division, which is why I think that the win totals are a little bit lower. And they're also playing some interesting teams in 2020. So... Yeah, this was, like I said, one of the toughest. The Titans have a rock-solid offense. Their offensive line is stout. Running game stout. Receiving core is pretty good. I mean, you got A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. It's not bad by any means. It's a solid receiving core. They got Jonu Smith as the third option or second option, maybe, over Corey Davis. But, like I said, it all kind of hinges on Ryan Tannehill. And I do like Tannehill quite a bit, but... He's not Mr. Clutch, you know, he's not the guy that performs under pressure all the time. So I think that's a little bit where they're going to struggle in 2020. But again, their defense is pretty solid. Vrabel's a very, very good head coach. If the Titans finish with 12 wins, 11 wins, I would not be surprised. I just think that they're going to lose a couple more than they did last year. So the Colts at 8-8, and again, they have an amazing offense, but I think the biggest problem with their offense is honestly just Phillip Rivers. And I do like Phillip Rivers as a Colt. I am excited to watch those games every week because, like I said earlier, I live in Indiana. I get every single Colts game every Sunday. And at least now they're going to be interesting to watch, even though I don't think they're going to win all these games. It's just Phillip Rivers, his arm, the way he throws the football was never meant to last until he was 40 years old, right? His arm, you could see it in 2019, he doesn't have much left on it. And he might come out the gate pretty hot in 2020, and I could see them winning a lot of games early, but they still have an amazing offensive line. They have an amazing run game with Marlon Mack, Naeem Hines, Jonathan Taylor. No matter how you feel about Marlon Mack or JT or Hines, It's a solid core of running backs, you know, and that offensive line is still going to be probably number one in the NFL, but their receiving core is young with Paris Campbell, who didn't really play in 2019, Michael Pittman, who is a rookie this year, and vet T.Y. Hilton, right? So it's got a lot of youth on it with an older quarterback in Phillip Rivers. Now, Again, that's what I think is the biggest weakness is just Philip Rivers. He's not Mr. Clutch. If you remember back to 2019, a lot of the games where he had a chance to win it, he threw a pick, right? So I just think that's going to continue in 2020. Uh, their defense is good, not great. They have holes all over the ball. They need a couple cornerbacks. They need a safety. They need a linebacker or two, guy on the line. So it's just... They have great players in certain locations on the defense, but as a whole, the unit's a little subpar, which is why I think they struggle a little bit more in a few of these games this year. Now, the Houston Texans at 7-9 is going to have a lot of people confused, and this was the hardest one, like I said, out of all of them. I, I love Deshaun Watson. 
He's one of the funnest quarterbacks to watch, in my opinion, in the NFL. The way he can just hero ball and drag teams to a victory. And we saw it time and time again in 2019, right? Where he had one eye and he threw a touchdown. You know, it's just, he's such a good quarterback, real life quarterback, fantasy quarterback, whatever you want to talk about. He's so good and he can carry the Texans. But they have year after year ravaged this defense. Their defense has nobody left. They've given up all their defensive stars. They have not had the draft capital because they've continued to spend their first round picks for Larry Tunsil. They used two first round picks and I think a second and a third for Larry Tunsil. Then there's the DeAndre Hopkins trade and just all the trades that Bill O'Brien has done as a head coach has ravaged this defense because they just don't have the picks to replace these guys, right? So their defense is probably going to be 31st in the NFL. Like I would not be shocked if this defense is 31st or bottom 10. And like I said, this is a competitive division. If you have that weak of a defense, it's not going to look good. While I do love the offensive side of the ball, I don't really see too many holes on the offense. It's just Expecting them to win shootout after shootout after shootout every single week is just not realistic. So that's why I do have them a little bit lower at 7-9, and nine, third place in this division. I just think that as a whole unit, this is not a good team. Their offense is great, but as great as the offense is, their defense is equally ungreat. Um, and then a little surprising, I have the Jacksonville Jaguars fourth in this division, that's not the surprising part. The surprising part to some people is probably the 5-11 and 11 record. And the reason why is Gardner Minshew, I just love this guy. I think that there is something about Gardner Minshew. And I know a lot of real-life analysts that look at things from a real-life football standpoint think that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be a top-five pick and they're going to go all-in on Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, one of those top quarterback options in 2021. I don't think they will because Gardner Minshew has the Tom Brady swag to him and he has just got what it takes to make it in the NFL. He showed so many flashes as a rookie in 2019 for a six round pick. He's got legs, he's got mobility, he's got just the will to win, right? Now, he definitely makes mistakes, and I'm not expecting him to be perfect in 2020, right? That's not what I'm saying here, but I just think that he's too good to lose that many games. I think he's going to will them to a win in at least five games this year, and maybe I'm wrong because this offense is just in shambles for their offensive line. It's not a great offensive line. They do have Leonard Fournette, Chris Thompson, so pretty solid running backs. Their receivers are pretty good between DJ Chark, LaVishka Chenault, uh, D.D. Westbrook. Like These are solid wide receivers to have for an offense. It's just their defense is young. It's not proven. I think Doug Marone's finally going to get fired after the season. He should have been fired two years ago. It's just, yeah, there's a lot of things that are going to go wrong for this team in 2020, but... Yeah, Jay Gruden and Gardner Minshew, I think, are going to actually be pretty good in 2020. So that's why I have them at 5-11. and 11. I just think Gardner is too good to lose that many games. I think he's, I literally think he's going to accidentally win five games, if that makes sense. So 
It's a pretty competitive division. Let me know your thoughts over on Twitter. But the last division I want to talk about is the AFC West. And I have the Las Vegas Raiders as the number one team in this division. Just kidding. I actually have them last. I have the Chiefs, of course, the reigning Super Bowl champions, number one in the AFC West at 13-3. and Don't think that's too much of a shocker. I just think their offense is too good to lose more than three games, especially with who they're playing in 2020. They are looking primed for another run. Their defense isn't the greatest. You know, they really have some holes, but that offense is just so terrifying. There was a report that came out earlier this week that the Chiefs were actually going to take Henry Ruggs if he had fallen to them at 32 this year. And could you just imagine this offense with <laughs> with Henry Ruggs, with Sammy Watkins, Mecole Hardman, Tyreek Hill? Oh my goodness. Travis Kelsey, this would have, they would have been able to go five wide almost every single play, and they just would have been burning DBs left, right, and center. My goodness, it was, would have been amazing to see. But with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I mean, even though Damian Williams is opting out, the reports about CEH is just amazing out of camp. He is just performing all over the place, and their offensive line is solid. Their quarterback is the half a billion dollar man, Patrick Mahomes, their offensive weapons are just loaded. Kelsey, Hill, Watkins, Nicole Hardman even. (laughs) I just mean, there's just no real negatives on their offensive side of the ball. And then their defense, they didn't get worse. They added a few guys in the draft. I just think that they're going to really push for a division win here with 13 and three. Then I have the Los Angeles Chargers second in this division at 9-7, and seven, and the Broncos tied with them at 9-7, and seven, and they are third in the division, so ultimately they lose the tiebreaker here. And the Raiders I have last place at 2-14, and 14, and the Raiders I actually have as the number one overall pick in 2021, so... That is how I have these teams ranked. The Chargers at 9-7. and seven. I don't think I'm shocking too many people here. The biggest problem with the Chargers is just their offense, right? Tyrod Taylor is a decent quarterback. He's not a great quarterback. He's not a bad quarterback. He's going to do what he needs to do. Their defense is so stacked at every single position. They really have no weaknesses between Bosa and Melvin Ingram. And then they've got... Goodness gracious, Derwin James, they have so many safeties and corners and, oh gosh, this defense is just going to be top five, I'm telling you. Like the Bills, the Chargers defense could easily be top five. And their offense, they made improvements on the offensive line. Their offensive skill positions aren't the greatest. Eckler and uh, Joshua Kelly or Justin Jackson, it's not a terrible crew of running backs. It's above average, I'd say, but their receivers are a little subpar. And with Tyrod Taylor's conservative nature when it comes to throwing the ball, it's just not a great offense. I don't know if he'll be able to get them back in it if the defense does play poorly on a week. So I just think that they're going to lose a lot of 50-50s, which is always something that the Chargers seem to do every single year (laughs) where they always start slow. They lose weird games that they should have won. And then at the end of the year, they bring it all back. And 
get it all straightened out, right? So the Chargers at nine and seven, the Broncos at nine and seven. And this is a little surprising, I think, because people think that the Broncos are going to be a lot worse under Drew Locke. I just think that Drew Locke is going to impress people more than people think. And their offense is freaking loaded, man. They went hard in the draft at the wide receivers. They had Cortland Sutton already that they were bringing back. Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, improvements on the offensive line, their defense under Vic Fangio, who's a defensive-minded head coach. Oh, man, there are just a lot of benefits for this team, right? Now, 9-7 and seven is a pretty big jump up for this team, but I just, I like this team a lot on paper and a lot more than people think about Drew Locke. So I don't think that Drew Locke's going to be amazing. I think he's going to show flashes of his potential in 2020. And I think those flashes are going to be enough mixed with this amazing defense and these amazing weapons to get them to nine wins and uh, kind of get them third, like I said, losing the tiebreaker with the Chargers in this division. But the last place team is the Las Vegas Raiders. And maybe I'm a little blinded by my dislike of the Raiders. I won't lie to you, I'm jaded on the Raiders. I do not like them as a team. I don't like John Gruden as a head coach. I think that he's outdated. He hasn't updated his offense for the current NFL. He's still running crap that he ran back with the Bucks before he retired and went to be a analyst on ESPN. And I mean, this team is just void of weapons right now. And I say that while they have Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs, right? But if you look at their offensive weapons, their top three weapons are Henry Ruggs, Byron Edwards, and Hunter Renfro. Renfro's a sophomore. The other two are freshmen. Derek Carr is a garbage quarterback, regardless of what stats say, like I pointed out in my AFC West breakdown a couple weeks ago. Go back and listen to that, where the stats can lie because Derek Carr by stats, had a career year, but he was still garbage, right? Because if you actually look at how he ranked in these categories, he was terrible, right? So a lot of his production came after the catch. And I think that this offensive line is going to be okay. It's not going to be great. It's not going to be terrible. It's going to be probably in the 15 to 20 range. Derek Carr is going to be okay, but he cannot make good decisions under pressure. And yeah, I just really think that Derek Carr is going to struggle and it's going to be a bad year for the Raiders, especially with the move to Vegas as well. I mean, they're playing in a new area. It's just a lot to do in one season, especially with pandemic and everything. So I think the Raiders are ultimately going to be the number one overall pick. Like I said, they're going to be going after Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, whichever they want for John Gruden, but next year they're going to finally be moving on from Derek Carr, and that's when things will get a little bit more interesting. Like I said, John Gruden is not a great head coach, but uh, maybe with a new quarterback he can spice things up a little bit more. So if you've been following along, we now have four of the playoff teams for the AFC. We have Buffalo, Baltimore, Kansas City, Tennessee, as the division winners for the AFC and the wild cards with there being three wild card teams now in 2020 because the 
CBA changed it to have seven playoff teams per division instead of six. I actually have Cleveland as the number one wild card, the Los Angeles Chargers as the number two wild card, and the Miami Dolphins as the number three wild card. And if you were listening to the scores, I actually have four teams tied for nine and seven in this conference. And the Chargers and the Dolphins are the two that I had coming out into the playoffs. But literally, it could go a million different ways in the actual NFL. The predicting tiebreakers is almost impossible this early. So um, it could have easily been instead of Los Angeles Chargers and Miami Dolphins, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Denver Broncos, right? So that's just how I had it breaking out. But I fully acknowledge with that many even teams, it could go the other way. But that is a pretty stacked group of teams in the AFC this year, I think, with Kansas City, Baltimore, Buffalo, Tennessee, Cleveland, Los Angeles Chargers, and Miami Dolphins. It makes for a fun playoff division. So I will cover how I think that'll go here after I cover the NFC. So starting with the NFC North, I actually have Chicago winning this division at 10 and 6, Minnesota finishing second at 9 and 7, Green Bay at 9 and 7, and Detroit at 4 and 12. And Chicago being the divisional leader may shock some people, but they managed to turn it on in 2019 despite playing like garbage for half the season, right? They really turned it on at the end. And I think that if they can just get competent quarterback play out of either Mitch Trubisky or Nick Foles, this offense is loaded with talent. I know it's not the most exciting talent. I know David Montgomery just got injured, so he's going to be hopefully ready by week one. If he's not ready by week one, it might be a struggle early in the season, but David Montgomery lost a little bit of weight. He's looking better. Their run game should be improved. Their offensive line is still going to be a problem, but if it's Nick Foles, it might be more of a problem, but if it is Mitch, if he does win the starting job and he starts to run a little bit more in 2020, they could be just fine on offense. They still have great receiving options. They have great tight ends. So this offense is really just contingent on whichever quarterback comes into play being decent. They don't even have to be amazing. They just have to be decent. And this team can be great and win this division. So they won eight games in 2019 with terrible quarterback play. If they can get decent quarterback play, I don't see any reason why they can't win 10 games. So the Minnesota Vikings finishing nine and seven and the Green Bay Packers finishing 9-7. Now, that's a little bit of a downgrade over 2019 for both these teams. I think Minnesota's going to struggle a little bit on defense and offense. I think Mike Zimmer's going to be just fine at rallying this defense in the long run. It might be a little bit of a struggle early because they did lose quite a few names on defense, and they're rocking a lot of younger guys on the defensive side of the ball, which is fine. It's just I think it's going to take them a little bit of time to start to gel together, right? And on the offensive side of the ball, they got rid of Stephon Diggs. You know, they're rocking with only one solid wide receiver right now with Adam Thielen. B.C. Johnson's been getting some hype. Justin Jefferson's slowly transitioning into this offense, but it's going to be a little bit of a struggle early. Their offensive line should be improved. Kirk Cousins 
<laughs> without fans in the stands, Kirk Cousins might be a MVP candidate because for some reason that dude just seems to crumble under pressure, right? And if you eliminate the fan aspect of it and just make it a scrimmage per se, then maybe Kirk Cousins can be really good. We'll see in 2020 if it is just a mental block for Kirk Cousins, but I think that their offense is going to be okay. It's not going to be great. They definitely need more wide receiving options. I think 9-7 and seven is still a pretty solid game line for them to finish the end of the year. And Green Bay at 9-7 and seven might be a little bit of a head scratcher, but the way that they have run this team the last couple of years, the Jordan Love signing, the A.J. Dillon signing, it's just they have not gotten Aaron Rodgers the help that he needs for this team to make another run. I know that they finished 13 and 3 in 2019, but they won a lot of 50-50 games. I think there were 6 and 2 or 7 and 1 in one-score games. So that's so hard to replicate year to year that it wouldn't shock me if they lost a couple more of those. 9 and 7 is still pretty good. It's just they're weapons on offense they have Devonte adams and that's the last high draft wide receiver that they've gotten on this team and he was a second round pick they haven't gotten a first round wide receiver in decades they haven't gotten above a fifth round wide receiver in years so i mean it's just they're starving out aaron Rodgers, really trying to focus on the run game and i understand it to an extent because that's what destroyed them in the playoffs. They played the Niners, and the Niners just literally ran all over them while they were considered a really good run defense. And LaFleur is not a great head coach. I think that 2020 is going to kind of air that out a little bit more and bring that a little bit more to light. But LaFleur is not a good head coach, and he's trying to copy what Kyle Shanahan was doing a little bit with his signings this year. Their defense is still going to be good, and it'll probably be a little bit better against the run than the pass because of how it's built. But if their offense is leaning more on the run, it's just not going to go well, in my opinion. Uh, I really like their running backs. I really do. Um, from a fantasy aspect, they're going to be just fine. But from a real-world football, I think they're going to struggle a little bit, and they're going to ultimately lose to the Vikings for third place in this division. And Detroit at 4-12, and they are kind of sneaky in my opinion. I like this team on offense and defense a little bit more in 2020, but their defense definitely has a lot of holes. I don't think Matt Patricia is a particularly good head coach. Um, he seems to be a little bit out of his depth ever since he left New England, and he's been trying to build things the right way, but... Unlike Brian Flores down in Miami, he just hasn't been able to get things rolling and gelling the way that he wants to, right? So their defense has massive holes. They have a solid offense, but they really only have two wide receivers on offense. And their run game could be okay with Carrion Johnson, but he's an injury risk. DeAndre Swift is injured right now. Hopefully he comes back fully healthy and he kind of shows what everyone thought he was pre-draft and pre-combine where he was just the number one option by a landslide and then he fell a little bit in the actual draft, right? But DeAndre Swift is still extremely talented. 
Hopefully he's healthy by season start. Their offensive line is pretty good, but they've lost some bigger names on the offensive side of the ball, on the offensive line for this team. And Matt Stafford has been injured a couple times now with a back injury. Hopefully he's fully recovered off of that. But again, it wouldn't shock me if they lost a lot of games that are close games. I like the Detroit Lions, but it's just hard to predict them with very many wins in 2020. So that is the NFC North for the NFC East. We got the Dallas Cowboys taking first at 10 and 6, the Eagles going 9 and 7, the Giants at 5 and 11, and Washington at 2 and 14. And Dallas finishing first repeats the cycle that we've seen the last few years with the NFC East in which no team wins it year to year. Um, It's always a new team every single year that takes number one. And I think this year is going to be the Dallas Cowboys. Their defense is pretty good. They lost Gerald McCoy recently with the pec injury and he's now been released, but their defense is okay. It's not a great defense, but it's not a bad defense. Again, I think it's going to be middle of the road. They have made interesting signings and we'll have to watch and see if Earl Thomas makes his way over to Dallas because that would make this defense a lot better in my opinion and their offense is stacked. I know that they lost their center, their starting center, but they had a couple guys waiting in the wings to replace him. They drafted a guy a little later in this year's draft, so if they can get decent play out of their offensive line because the other four guys on this offensive line are studs, right? So if their center can step up, they got Zeke, they got Tony Pollard, They have probably the best trio of wide receivers in the NFL, if not top five. It's just such a stacked and loaded receiving core between Gallup, Amari Cooper, and C.D. Lamb. It's just a nasty lineup that you're going to have to play every single week. And they got Blake Jarwin on the tight end, Dak Prescott. You know, this team looks really good on paper. Now, it comes down to on Sundays if they can put it all together and show it on the field but on paper this team looks terrifying right so I think they're ultimately going to win this division 10 and 6 but again they're going to make a lot of mistakes and that's why they have six losses because for some reason they just make brain farts in the worst moments in the NFL so the Eagles at 9 and 7 again right behind the Dallas Cowboys but The problem with the Eagles is their offense is so polarizing and their defense is losing guys, right? So they've had a couple of season-ending injuries with their defense. They still need cornerbacks drastically for this defense. I know they got Darius Slay from the Detroit Lions that they traded for this offseason, but that fills a hole on their cornerback crew. They needed three cornerbacks for this team, right? They need a new safety. They need a new free safety. Their defensive line was pretty solid, but they've lost a couple guys to season-ending injuries, right? So it's just their defense is going to take a step back in 2020. And with all the injuries that they're having already on the offensive side of the ball, Jalen Rager is going to be a great addition for this team with Carson Wentz over the future. But I really wish they wouldn't have used that second-round pick on Jalen Hurts because They really could have used another wide receiver. They really could have used another defensive corner, right? So it's just they have weird places where they're really strong, but then weird places where they're not as good. And their offensive line is pretty stout. Their run game with Miles Sanders is going to be okay. 
Uh, it's just their weapons because they got Jalen Rager, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Deshaun Jackson, who's aging out, can't stay healthy. Alshon Jeffries, aging out, can't stay healthy. Like Their number one option on offense is probably going to be Zach Ertz, and then their number two is probably going to be Dallas Goddard. You never really want to see your tight ends being the number one and number two option for a team. It's not necessarily that they can't win with it. It's just it just means that you're not building your team right, you know. And like I said, I like this team long term. I really like Rager going forward. It's just gonna be tough in 2020. But that is my thoughts on the Eagles. Giants at five and eleven. They just have massive holes everywhere. You know, their defense is in shambles. They got a first year head coach. Their offense, I think, is going to take steps forward, but they really don't have an alpha wide receiver on this offense. I know people really like Darius Slayton for this team to break out in 2020. I just don't know if he can be an alpha for the team. And Golden Tate is a slot guy. Sterling Shepard's not going to be an alpha. We've seen that over his career. So, They really need an alpha wide receiver. They have a decent receiving core with those guys that I just mentioned. Saquon Barkley is going to be a stud like usual, but they're still a little weak on their offensive line. Daniel Jones still needs to show that he can put it all together on the field, and their defense definitely needs help. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a rebuild here finally for the Giants, and with a new head coach, I think it's just time for that to happen, right? So 5-11 Five and eleven, I don't think is too shocking to too many people. And then Washington at two and fourteen, I just don't think anyone's shocked by that. That team is a mess. The funny thing is, their defense is probably one of the top ten in the NFL, and that's why this two and fourteen feels like it could be a trap because Washington's defense under Jack Del Rio and under Ron Rivera is going to be pretty solid, right? Both of those guys have a history in the past of putting together solid defensive units, right? And they have a lot of talent on their defensive line. They have a lot of talent in the secondary, but their offense is a little bit tougher to judge. Now, Terry McLaurin might be an alpha wide receiver, but they really need another guy behind him. Maybe Antonio Gandy-Golden can be that guy, but I wouldn't be shocked if they just struggle a lot. There's a lot going on in Washington right now with all the Rivera stuff, with all the Dan Snyder stuff. It just seems like a trap. Like I said, I would not be shocked if they finished with five wins and the Giants finished with two, right? And you just swap their records. But uh, it's it's a tough one to, to kind of call, right? So that's my thoughts on it. But yeah, I fully admit that I could be wrong on that one. So the NFC South, I got Tampa Bay, taking the division at 12 and 4, Atlanta at second at 10 and 6, New Orleans at 10 and 6, third, and the Carolina Panthers at 3 and 13. Tampa winning it because Tom Brady just has an amazing will to win football, right? So he, I just think that this offense is so loaded. There's no way that they don't win 12 games. Their defense is still stacked and they've only made improvements on offense. So, yeah, I don't see any reason why Tom Brady's not going to will this team to 12 wins. They're loaded enough, and while I think that Tom Brady's definitely declining, he's getting to the end of his career, I still think he has a year or two left in the tank, and we're going to see one of those years here in 2020. Now, 
they're a pretty solid unit. This could go wrong if Tom Brady finally starts to show his age, but I just, like I said, his will to win is so intense. He takes really good care of his body. He is so creative with his plays and his schemes and everything. It's hard to tell how he's going to fit in the Arians mold, but yeah, this team is looking good. And the surprising one might be Atlanta at 10 and 6. But Atlanta's biggest weakness in 2020 is going to be their defense. Their biggest weakness in 2019, if you remember though, was their defense and also their offensive line. But if you look at Atlanta's offense, literally every single starter on their offense, their offensive linemen, their receivers, their tight end, their running back, Matt Ryan himself, every single one of them is a first round pick in the NFL. And say what you will about whether these guys all make it, whether they bust, whatever you want to say about them, that just means that they are extremely talented, right? Now, again, 50% bust rate on first round picks, whatever you want to say about it, those guys are first round picks every single time because they're talented, right? It's not because, oh, I know that this guy's going to bust. It's just there's sometimes injuries or mental issues that these guys just can't overcome, right? Or they slow down as they get to the NFL. They can't transition. But the fact that Atlanta has 11 first round picks on offense is terrifying. Now, like I said, their biggest weakness is going to be the defense, but they've made some interesting signings here in 2020. They signed a few people in the draft. They brought a few free agents in, re-signed a couple people. I think that their defense under Dan Quinn is going to step up a little bit more and they're going to be able to compete. And with this offense just being so loaded, I think that they're going to be able to win a lot of shootouts. And it's hard to predict those, but when you do have teams just going to shootouts every single week, it's somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. Like I said that the Houston Texans going to shootouts, they're not going to win as many games. And maybe I'm wrong on that and they win all their games. And I'm saying that Atlanta is going to win all their shootout games, but maybe they actually lose them all, right? So I fully acknowledge that it's all based on subjective thoughts on my part. So take it with a little bit of a grain of salt, but um, that's just how I'm looking at it from my standpoint, right? So I think that their offense is going to roll in 2020, and it's going to be a fun team to watch. If you can see Atlanta games, I have a feeling they're going to be fun to watch this year. Now, New Orleans at 10 and 6 may be a little bit of a shocker to people. I don't really know. It seems like New Orleans fans are a little bit delusional (laughs) when it comes to their team. Um, Similar to like Patriots fans where we have to field the best roster every single year just because we've done it for two decades, right? New Orleans has been so good for so long. People are always shocked when they don't get projected super high, like 12 and 4 or 13 and 3, right? But New Orleans' biggest problem is the same problem that they've had for like five straight years now, ever since they got rid of Brandon Cooks. They have no amazing receiver behind Michael Thomas as their number two guy. And I say that knowing full well that Emmanuel Sanders has been a stud throughout his whole career. But the dude's coming off an Achilles still. I know he looked just fine in 2019, but an Achilles tear is something that will slow you down sooner. It's going to bring his retirement sooner than it would if he hadn't torn the Achilles, right? 
and the dude is going on 33 years old. He's not a young guy anymore. It's just they have Michael Thomas, they have Alvin Kamara, and Jared Cook, who's getting old. I mean, their offense is just so scattered that it really kind of sucks because I really want to see what would have happened if they wouldn't have gotten rid of Brandon Cooks or they would have gotten another first-round wide receiver. I mean, it came out just today that Drew Brees is expecting Traquan Smith to have a career year, right? And the reason why that's impressive is just because I thought Emmanuel Sanders was supposed to have a career year, you know? But they need a second wide receiver. And if one of these two guys can step up, yeah, sign me up for the Saints. But their defense, people like it a lot. I think that they're going to struggle a little bit more, especially with the talent of the offenses in this division specifically. So, yeah, it's just, it's tough. Like I said, making these predictions, it takes a lot of my personal opinion into it, you know. So take it with a grain of salt, but I think New Orleans is ultimately going to finish 10-6. and six. So don't count them out just yet, but uh, that's my thoughts on them. And then Carolina finishing 3-13. and 13. I think that their whole team is just in shambles. Their defense is a mess. Teddy Bridgewater is not the future franchise quarterback for this team. They're going to be a very high pick. According to this, I have them at the number 3 to number 4 pick in 2021, which means that they can easily go for a quarterback at that point, and I would not be surprised if they do so. It's just Teddy Bridgewater is not the guy you want to lead your team long term. I think he's a competent quarterback, and if he went to a team that had okay weapons or an okay system or uh, an okay line, he would be a great option, right? But the Panthers don't have a great line. They have okay weapons with DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, Ian Thomas even. Like their weapons are pretty solid, but their offensive line's a joke. They have a new offensive coordinator who's coming over from college. Their defense is a joke. And Teddy just has a history that we know. If you've listened to my NFC South breakdown, you know my thoughts on Teddy Bridgewater. We just know who he is. And he's like Tyrod Taylor. He's just not going to be the guy to go out there and sling it and bring you back into a game. So would not shock me if maybe they get like 5-11, and 11, but yeah, have them at 3-13. and 13. So the last division is the NFC West, and that is Seattle, who I have taken the number one role in this division at 11-5, and five, San Francisco at 9-7, and seven, the Rams at 9-7, and seven, and the Cardinals at at six and ten and this might be shocking because the Niners were in the Super Bowl last year having them second in the division to the Seahawks probably wondering why and the reason why is because Russell Wilson is very very talented if you listen to my NFC West breakdown I believe that the Seahawks are going to let Russ cook and throw the ball a lot more every single thing that they've done in the offseason so far has pointed to more pass attempts for Russell Wilson. Pete Carroll has come out and said they want to let Russ cook, but they also want to run the ball. They have added a ton of positional coaches to help the passing game. Russell Wilson has publicly called out his coach to let him pass the ball more. They've signed better receivers. They've brought in better offensive linemen that are geared towards the passing game. Every single thing that they've done this year just points to Russell Wilson throwing the ball more. And the more Russell Wilson throws the ball, I think the better this team's going to be. And 
the biggest weakness for the Seahawks is their defense. They have a lot of holes on this defense, but Pete Carroll is a great coach. I think he's going to be able to get a decent defense out of these guys, even though they do have holes. But if Russell Wilson is throwing the ball around, it's just hard to bet against him. And I know that the Seahawks usually win a lot of games where they're one-score games, right? They always seem to come back and win with with a six-point difference or by a field goal or something like that. But after three years of that happening, I don't think it's a trend. It's kind of like Devontae Adams. Touchdowns are a super hard, predictable stat for wide receivers. But after three straight years of Devontae Adams doing 10 straight touchdowns, it's hard to kind of bet against that, you know? So I'm not betting against Seattle this year, especially if they're letting Russell Wilson throw the ball a little bit more. Um, The Niners are a solid team. They're just kind of being ravaged by injury on the offense right now with their skill guys. They don't really have an amazing run game, especially after getting rid of Breida. I know Breida wasn't the best running back for this group last year, but Raheem Mostert's an old guy. Tevin Coleman's not a young guy. They haven't really brought in any young talent for this team, and I could see their run game struggling a little bit more. Their defense is getting older in their secondary. Richard Sherman is burnt toast at this point in his career. He was once probably one of the top five cornerbacks of all time, but man, he is just not good anymore. I mean, we saw it clearly in the Super Bowl where he just doesn't have the speed to keep up with the current NFL, and he might be one of the best cerebral cornerbacks ever to play in the NFL. It's just being able to understand the plays at a top level nowadays doesn't mean much if you can't keep up. So their defense is definitely super strong on the the front, their defensive line, their linebackers, but their secondary is not great, getting worse as it just starts to age out. Their receivers are all injured, so that's a big problem. Their running game is getting older. Their offensive line should be just fine. Jimmy Garoppolo is put in a position of success just because of Kyle Shanahan. But yeah, I could see them struggling and regressing a little bit more in 2020. Now, I have the Rams third, but tied with the Niners. And again, this is one of those ones where I could totally be wrong on the tiebreakers. It's almost impossible to tell right now, right? So the Rams at nine and seven, I just think that they are too talented to not go 9-7. and seven. Their offense is loaded. Their defense has holes. But their offensive line is going to be a detriment. And anyone who's watching HBO Hard Knocks right now saw in episode 3 that the Rams went to the new stadium, the SoFi Stadium, and they did a scrimmage on the field, right? Well, in this scrimmage... Aaron Donald was just tearing up this offensive line, right? And Aaron Donald is a beast. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Aaron Donald is definitely one of the best players in the NFL, if not the best defensive player in the NFL. He's just a monster. You should not look like that. You should not move like that at that weight. He's just a freak of nature, right? But the problem is he was just ripping through this offensive line, and I don't know if they're going to be able to fix that for the 2020 season. I know when I talked about it in my breakdown that I'm saying I'm hopeful for it, but based on what I'm seeing, I'm 
not thinking it's going to happen in 2020. So that's the biggest problem with this team. I think that the offensive weapons, the offensive system, they're still going to put up fantasy points. They're still going to win games. It's just they're going to struggle a lot more than they want to. And again, with the superstar mentality that the Rams have kind of taken over the last few years where they get superstar players and they pay all their starters 90% of their salary cap, it's just losing any guy's injury, you know, if you can't get it rolling, it's just a problem. So um, they really need to address their offensive line. Hopefully these guys step forward, like I said, but I would not be shocked if they don't. I still think that they're talented enough, though, to go 9-7, and seven, which is a pretty solid end-of-year record. So the last-place team in this division is the Arizona Cardinals at 6-10. and 10. Now, they're pretty hyped up right now, but their defense definitely still has a lot of holes. Their offense is pretty loaded, but they still need some help on the offensive line. Their weapons on offense are amazing. They have, like, five great wide receivers. They have great running backs. They have a good tight end. They have a good quarterback. They need some help on the offensive line, but Kyler Murray's the type of quarterback where it's not going to hurt him too much. But their defense is just, oh, it's where to even start with their defense, their defensive line. They've got, they probably have three amazing guys on defense between Patrick Peterson, Chandler Jones, and the safety that they just re-signed, Buda Baker, right? So those are probably the only three guys on this defense that are actually competent um not to be too hard on them but yeah they just really need some help on defense and with this being such an offensive heavy division where it's going to be loaded on offense for all of these teams you can't have a defense that bad in this division and expect to do really well so um that's the biggest problem with the cardinals i think they're on the right track but they definitely still need a little bit more time before they can Make a push for playoff. So for the NFC, we have Dallas taking their division, Tampa Bay taking theirs, Seattle finishing first in theirs, and Chicago finishing first in the North. Now that leaves the wild cards at Atlanta, New Orleans, and San Francisco. So I'm going to break it down again. And based on their records, I have slotted these guys one to seven. And remember in 2020 with new CBA, Seven teams go to the playoffs for each conference, and only the number one seed gets a bye in week one of the playoffs. So on the AFC side, I have Kansas City getting the bye, Baltimore number two, Buffalo number three, Tennessee number four, Cleveland number five, Chargers number six, and Miami number seven. In the NFC, I got Tampa Bay getting the bye, Seattle number two, Dallas number three, Chicago number four, Atlanta number five, New Orleans number six, and San Francisco number seven. So in round one of the playoffs, now this is where I'm going to get to my playoff predictions, and this is just for fun, so I could be totally wrong on this, but so in round one for the AFC, I have Baltimore versus Miami, and Baltimore pulling out the win in that one. Clearly, I don't think anybody would be shocked by that. Baltimore's team is just so much better than the Miami Dolphins. And while I think that it's an amazing feat for the Dolphins to get to the playoffs in the first place, yeah, they're going to fizzle out pretty quick. Now, I have the Buffalo Bills against the Los Angeles Chargers. I think this is going to be a tough game, but I think that the Bills' defense is going to shut down the Chargers' offense completely. 
Um, the Chargers defense is going to shut down the Bills offense, but I think that Josh Allen's going to pull it out ultimately in the end. And then I have the last game is the Tennessee Titans versus the Cleveland Browns. And I actually have Cleveland pulling out the upset over the Titans. And like I said earlier, I think Cleveland are the perfect definition of the post-hype sleeper. Tennessee's a solid overall team. They really don't have too many holes, but Cleveland is the same way. They really don't have too many holes on this team, and they're really being slept on a little bit here. And I think that they're going to be just fine in 2020. Now for the NFC, I got Seattle versus San Francisco. Divisional matchup, which is always a fun playoff game. I have San Francisco actually beating out Seattle in that game. And the reason why is I think that San Francisco and Seattle games are always almost impossible to predict. I really wanted to go with Seattle in this one, but something in my gut just tells me San Francisco. Super strong analytical mindset right there of what my gut told me, but uh, San Francisco versus Seattle, San Francisco coming out on top. Dallas versus New Orleans. I think that Dallas has what it takes to overcome the New Orleans defense. Dallas would be at home too, and it's always a tough place to play down in Dallas. Um, If New Orleans were at home, I'd probably give them the edge in this game. But yeah, going down to Dallas with all the weapons that they have, I think this is the year that Dallas actually makes a pretty strong push. But you'll see as we continue along here in the playoffs. Now, Chicago versus Atlanta. I actually think that up in Chicago, Atlanta's going to struggle quite a bit. You know, one of the best things about Soldier Field is, one, it's outdoors, which Matt Ryan struggles heavily in all outdoors games. And two, by the time they'd be playing this, it'd be freezing out there. So Atlanta in an outdoors game in the cold with that grass that they have at Soldier Field, it's like some of the longest grass If you've ever heard people talk about the different fields and turf and grass and all those things, I don't know what it is about the Chicago grass, but it's like considered the slowest grass in the NFL just because it's so long and thick. It really slows guys down, right? So Chicago has a pretty strong home field advantage, and that's why I just give them the edge over Atlanta in the playoffs. Now, going into round two, we have Cleveland versus Kansas City. I think that's where Cleveland's run ends. I think Kansas City is just too good to not continue on in the playoffs. Um, And then I have Baltimore versus Buffalo and Baltimore ultimately edging out Buffalo for the win. And I know that Lamar Jackson has gotten a lot of crap for being a choker in the playoffs. And I think that he's going to finally shake that in 2020. And I just like Baltimore quite a bit more than Buffalo. Again, I think it's pretty impressive that Josh Allen could get them this far, but Baltimore ultimately edges them out. And for the NFC, I got Tampa Bay versus San Francisco, one versus seven seed, but I think San Francisco actually wins. I think that by the time that San Francisco is really gelling at the end of the year, that's when Debo's going to be fully healthy. That's when they're going to have a lot of these guys, Brandon Ayuk, Dante Pettis more developed and all on the same page right and I just really think that San Francisco is going to start really hitting hard towards the end of this year just like they did last year and I think that they're going to be able to overcome Tampa Bay to repeat to the NFC title game 
And the other game I have is Dallas versus Chicago down in Dallas because Dallas is the three seed. And I think that Dallas would ultimately take the win there again. At that point, those are decent rosters versus each other. So it's very hard to predict which one would make less mistakes in the playoffs. But I think ultimately I just really like McCarthy's experience in the playoffs and This Dallas team, like I said, I really like them going forward. So that gives me the AFC title game of Kansas City versus Baltimore and the NFC title game as Dallas versus San Francisco. And in the AFC, I have Baltimore eking out a narrow win over Kansas City. It's tough to predict that just because of everything we saw in the playoffs last year with Kansas City where they could be down 24 points and ultimately come back and win the game. Um, they did it, what, three straight games last year. So it's very, very hard to predict against Kansas city, but I just like Baltimore as a whole unit. Like I said, with Lamar Jackson and this offense and this defense, just as a whole, I just think that they're going to be special. So I have Baltimore winning, going to the Super Bowl for the AFC on the NFC side. I have Dallas versus San Francisco in Dallas I think that Dallas ultimately ekes out the win there as well. I like them just a lot more as a whole unit again. And like I said earlier, the biggest weakness for San Francisco is their cornerbacks. And one of Dallas's biggest strengths is that nasty wide receiver trio. So um, I think that's what ultimately gives them the edge in that game that puts Dallas in the Super Bowl. And I have the Super Bowl as Dallas versus Baltimore. And I actually think ultimately that Dallas wins the Super Bowl. And people are going to probably give me crap and this is never going to happen. But I actually do think that Dallas makes a run this year. I think that they're going to be the Super Bowl champions. We'll look back here in February and you guys can let me know how wrong I am on all these predictions. But based on how I'm evaluating the team's today in August. This is just how I think everything's going to go. So again, take all this with a grain of salt. This was a lot just more for fun. Again, I'm not the best defensive minded guy. So understanding all the intricacies of these defenses is not my specialty. I know them from a grand scheme level. So try not to blast me too much on this. If you are a defensive guy and you think that I'm massively wrong on some of those aspects, but Yeah, I think this was quite a bit of fun. And again, like I said, this can give you a little bit more context into my divisional breakdowns as well. Because if Buffalo is going 11 and 5 with an amazing defense and pretty good offensive pieces, right? I think that's part of the reason why people are down more on Stephon Diggs. I think with that defense, they're going to be running the ball a lot more. And that's why people are higher on Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, right? versus Washington being 2-14. and They're going to be losing a lot of games, right? And they're going to have to pass the ball quite a bit, which is why people really like Terry McLaurin in 2020. But yeah, that's kind of ultimately what I was thinking through this and how I kind of approached my divisional breakdowns. I hope you guys like my rankings of these guys. Um, Let me know your thoughts over on Twitter, on Facebook. I do want to point out that I did lie in last week's episode. I said that I was going to put out my first Instagram post last week uh, with episode number 10. I did not do that. (laughs) Um, 
the reason why is I was camping last weekend and uh, I had a pretty good night Saturday night and I was a little hungover on the drive back on Sunday. Um, I was planning on putting it out on Sunday, but I was not feeling the best <laughs> that Sunday when I did get back ultimately. But So I'm planning on re-upping on that uh, first Instagram post this Sunday. So yeah, I apologize for lying to you guys, but uh, <laughs> there's the reason why behind it. So that should be coming out this weekend. Stay tuned for that. Again, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Tell your friends, tell your league mates, tell whoever you want about this podcast if you like it. I am looking to see what we can do for this podcast during the season. I do want to do things a little bit differently. I don't want things to just be, here's the game, here's the guy that's really good. You know, I'm trying to think of ways to be a little bit more unique for you guys to give you unique insights during the season. And there's a lot of redraft podcasts out there, and those are perfectly fine for Dynasty because they give you more of a week-to-week aspect on who to start and who to sit. But from an actual Dynasty League where you have guys, for Dynasty where you actually can trade guys in season, because in redraft leagues, let's be honest, not many people trade in season because most people don't want to give up a guy, they don't want to get a new guy, unless it's a win-win for both teams, right? In Dynasty, it's not really the same because you know you're going to have these guys going forward. So people can trade a lot more in Dynasty. I feel like they're a lot more comfortable trading in season in Dynasty. So trying to give you guys more context into that side of things. Redraft podcasts are just fine, like I said, for start and sit, but they don't really cover that trading aspect on who you can buy, who you can sell, um, things like that. So I'm looking for ideas on what to talk about in season if you have any let me know hit me up on twitter and just let me know your thoughts on things you'd like to hear but i'm trying to think through how i'm going to be approaching the in season podcast here and they're coming up soon so um, i'm running out of time but hopefully by then i'll have a youtube channel um i got a special breakdown for you guys i did a redraft league draft recently where i'm going to show you guys kind of based on my draft, draft, draft episode where I've talked through a few of my picks and give you my context as to why I like these guys and why I'm approaching the draft a certain way. And I know it's not dynasty, so it's a little bit different, but the concept for how you approach a draft is still going to be the same that you can hopefully use in your dynasty drafts as well. So that's my thoughts on that. That'll be coming out here in a couple weeks. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Again, until next week, hope you guys have a good week. Good luck in your leagues and good night.